Son, Jesus, who came to die on the cross for our sins and to help us even now. Lord, as we come before your word, we pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, let us not be hard to it. Lord, let us be open and receptive. Lord, I pray that you would teach us and you would instruct us in your way. Lord, I pray that you'd bring repentance in our life and that we would turn from our sin to follow you, our Father. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Today's sermon is going to be on repentance. We're going through a series on spiritual disciplines, the way that we ought to live in light of the fact that God has saved us, has called us to be his disciples, and one of the things we are called to do is repent. Turn from our sin. To understand repentance, we need to know three things. We need to understand what sin is. Make sure we have that clearly defined in our heads. We need, to know, we need to understand sin, we need to understand forgiveness, and then we need to understand how we are supposed to live in response to it. So we need to know what sin is, we need to understand forgiveness, and we need to know how to live in response to this. Repentance does not come without the conviction of sin. And so it would be very easy right now to hear these words, to go through these passages, without any self-reflection, to assume that there is no sin in your life that you need. To assume that you yourself do not need the cross of Christ right now, just as much as you did when you first believed. In heaven, they sing about the death of Christ. It is a fresh and joyful reality that it was the Son of God who died for sinners that they rejoice in and need even in heaven. So the cross is good news For us today, and it demands a response. So first, we need to understand sin, see it correctly. So turn to Psalm 32. Uh, If you have one of these, it's page 318. Psalm 32. Now, before I get into this, David is a man who walked with God for a very long time. And so um, he had a fresh experience of sin, and God's forgiveness was joyful to him again. So, uh, page 318, Psalm 32, a masculine of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, 
I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, everyone who is godly, offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye turned upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed by bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright of heart. This, this psalm is called a masculine. It's basically a wisdom song. It's a song of instruction. Uh, I have little kids right now, one, three, and five. And we've got these little ditties. Um, how do they go? God and Jesus down to earth, down to earth, down to earth. God and Jesus down to earth. Jesus is God's son every breakfast. Two or three times <laughs> we sing that song. And so like, the psalm is meant to be that. It's a song where the tune's catching your head and it's teaching you something. And in this psalm, David, the writer of the psalm, is putting two things side by side. The blessing and joy of repentance or the pain of conviction. So he starts it off. Blessed. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against, the whom, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed. Blessed is the one. You want blessing? You want joy? You want happiness? You want the blessed life? We're all looking for it, let's be honest. It is not primarily found in the fact that you have a good job, that you have a good health, that you have a good home, that you have a good family. Fundamentally, to be blessed is to know this, that your sin is taken care of. Why? Because, ultimately, at the end of the day, even though the things that we do hurt people and hurt ourselves, the things that we do wrong fracture community. Ultimately, our biggest problem is our sin is an affront to a holy God. And it ruptures our relationship with God. So in the beginning, when God created the heavens and earth and all was good and there was no sin, God would fellowship with his people. But when they sinned, they were afraid of God because they knew he was holy and just. And they hid from God and they, and they were hiding in the bushes and God sought them out. Without God at the center of our lives, if God is not the primary thing that we Worship that our lives are oriented towards. And without God is the one that we treasure above all else, above our health, above our family, above our homes, above all else, then we are doomed to chaos. Our li- it's like having the solar system without the sun. Things just go spinning off. But with Christ as a center, it keeps all those things aligned and in their right place. And we're ultimately doomed to punishment. God will deal with sin, including your sin. 
it says God is light in him, is no darkness, that God is holy, which means he is pure, that even the smallest sin, the smallest disobedience is enough to be pushed from his presence and to have his wrath burn against you. David is telling us then how to be blessed, to have your sins covered. So what is the issue? Well, he calls it transgression, sin, and iniquity, which are really big words. Like, what are those? Okay, so in English, when we do something wrong and you want to speak religiously, you say, I've sinned, or I'm a sinner. Right? That's kind of like the broad phrase we use. So if you did something wrong and you want to kind of speak religiously, you say, we sin. So, you know, you might steal, that's a sin. You may gossip, that's a sin. But in the Bible, it kind of breaks sin into like three categories. Transgression, sin, iniquity. Okay, so even though in English we kind of break it into one category, the Bible breaks into three, and he's giving to us right here. Now, uh, the Bible is primarily written in another language, Hebrew, and one of the things about Hebrew is they, they use word pictures. The, the, the words, they, they have an image built into them, and so even here, the, the picture that they're painting helps us understand what he's talking about. So first of all, transgression. What is transgression? Okay, it means there's a line and you crossed it. So for example, when the nation of Israel was standing at the Jordan River and they're going to cross into the land of Canaan, now rivers were often boundary markers, like, you know, there's your side of the river and that's my side of the river. And when they crossed it, they quote-unquote transgressed, not in a bad way, they, just, they crossed the line, they crossed the boundary. Now that is what we think of as sin. God says, don't do this. Do it anyways. Right? Uh, you say to children, "Don't touch the computer," and you turn around. What are you doing? Who? <laughs> like, what? Nothing. <laughs> right? It's easy to pick on kids. God says, "Don't lust." Mm-hmm. God says, "Don't covet your neighbor's car with a paint job." Right? Okay. So not to cover these things. God tells us, "Don't do these things." Yet, you think, eh, okay, I'm going to do it anyways. Those are transgressions. Okay, so transgression and now sin. Sin is a little bit different. It's an archery term. So they would talk about a really good archer would aim at a target and never sin, would never miss, would always hit it on point. And to sin means, nope, off the side, didn't quite reach it, you missed your mark. So in other words, sin means that there was some aim or some goal that you're responsible to hit with your actions. You fell short. Like, for example, God commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, you may be a good neighbor. I don't think you love your neighbor like yourself. Let's be honest. I mean, you may not, like, have wild parties after ten, but do you really love your neighbor as yourself and seek their good? You fall short. God says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Did you do it? Well, kind of. You missed. You fell short. It's like mowing half a lawn and saying, I mowed the lawn. I'm like, no, you didn't. You mowed half a lawn. It's like paying off half a debt. You owed $100,000. I paid off 50000 I'm out of debt. No, you're not. 
you still have debts. That is the idea of sin. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That you have not reached the standard of your life that you were supposed to reach. And this one I think is helpful because I feel like there's lots of good people in this world that don't do transgressions, don't break the law, the good law-abiding citizens. That was me as a kid. I, well, okay, it's bad. I was going to use speeding, but it's bad. But, like, but I was a little law-abider, yet, yet, I was still falling short of what God called my life to be. And then there is iniquity. Now, iniquity gets to, used two ways. But what we're interested in in this moment is this. The word means to twist or to pervert. God has given us many good things, but we use them for perverted purposes. We twist them. So, for example, the Bible would call adultery, even though it's a transgression, it also refers to it as an iniquity because sex is good. God gave us sex, pleasurable, yes, for marriage. But when you take your sex and you use it for something else, you twisted it. That was not what it was meant for. Or uh, think of, uh, Grant gave me this example on the ride home from his dinner, the internet, which is many good things happen over the internet. Many horrific things happen over the internet. And I'm not talking about porn. I'm talking like just the comment section. Come on. <laughs> like just the hatred and like blatant name calling and gossip that you see on there. It's horrid. All these bad things happen, like the internet in and of itself was a gift, but we have turned it for something horrible. Your job. Your job was given to you as a means to provide for your family, for your neighbors, for human flourishing, for your community, but you make it a status symbol. You make it about you. Some people even take their jobs and they ruin the lives of other people, deliberately and are corrupt, that is iniquity. So transgression is when God says, don't do something, you do it. Sin is when he says, do something, you don't do it. Iniquity is when he gives you a good thing, and you just twist it and use it for something he never wanted you to use it for. And that is like the full picture of our sin. Now I mentioned iniquity gets used two ways. So here's the second way, and this is going to be very important to us. Iniquity also refers to your guilt. So in the court system, in the Old Testament, if you went before a judge and the judge says, ah, guilty, evidence against you, they would say, and like, so like in American courts say, you're guilty. Okay. In the Old Testament court system, they say, you bear your iniquity. Bear. It's like, you're, like there's this guilt and it's like it's weighing on you. It's like you are going to bear your iniquity. And you kind of get where the idea comes from because when you feel guilty, what do you feel? Uh. All right, you feel like there's a weight that's on you. It's a very vivid picture. And ultimately, when you bear your iniquity in God's kingdom, you have to be removed from the kingdom. You have to go from the people. You go away or you're killed. You can't bear your iniquity and be in the people of God. It just doesn't work that way. God is holy, and in his presence shall be no unholiness. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God who will consume his adversaries, who will destroy sin once and for all. So therefore, David's saying, blessed are those who do not get their due. 
Look how he says it. Blessed is the one whose transgression, you cross your line, he forgives you. Blessed is the one who sinned, didn't fall short, he covers it. The one who he counts no iniquity. And then he says this, blessed in the, is the one in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, if you were reading this and you were familiar with these terms, sin, transgression, iniquity, deceit, what? Because deceit's not one of the big three. It's not a category. It's a specific sin. So you'd be like, whoa, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Why do you bring up deceit? What do you mean? So on that idea of deceit, he carries on. Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent. For when I kept silent. In his heart, David was running from God. But when he did, God came after him. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. In other words, he's running from God and God, as it were, were pressing in on him. The heat of summer, man, these like 70 degree weather days, can't handle it. <laughs> I have no energy. I can't get up. I can't do anything. Like that is the weight of the conviction. And this is a gift. That though it causes us sorrow and anguish and makes us feel bummed out and gross and yucky, and getting caught, and getting caught brings feelings of guilt and shame, it is good that it happens. Because God is not letting you go, but as it were, is dragging him back to himself. I said that wrong. Dragging you back to himself. He says in verse 8, like he's being dragged like a horse or a dumb mule with bit and bridle in his mouth and being dragged back towards God. And and ultimately David's saying, like, come on, you don't want that. Just get it over with. Confess. By not coming to God, by not saying that he was sinning, he is ultimately being deceitful. God knows all things, yes, but you're trying to cover your sin. You're being deceitful. Some people think, because of the, especially with the word deceit, that this might be referring to his sin with Bathsheba. So if you recall, David has an affair with a man's wife, go gets the man killed marries the lady. No one knows that he was responsible for the man's death. It's like, oh, she's a widow. I can marry her. And you know, so murdered man, and they're married. And it seems like the ruse got away with, but God revealed the sin. Made it plain to everyone. And the prophet of the Lord came and said, you killed that man. Now, in that moment, David could say, like, no, I didn't. False prophets don't him. But in that moment, he did not hide his deceit. He came clean. He says in prayer, and he turns audience a little bit, in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And what was the result? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I came clean. I confessed it. I let it all be known to you, God, and you forgave the iniquity 
the guilt of my sin. This is not like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got me. I blew it. I sinned. Sorry. This is not that type of acknowledgement. It was agreeing with God. Yes, I am a sinner. I have broken your law. I have twisted, twisted things and used them for the wrong way. God, you are right. This is repentance. Looking at sin and saying, it's horrid. And instead of running from God, you turn and you run to God. You were running from God, but now he's run to God. Look at verse 6. Therefore, now he's changed audience again. So like, lesson, so remember this is a song of instruction. So, okay, so where are we supposed to get from this? Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the gush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. God became, went from adversary who is pressing him, convicting him, to a shelter, to a protector, to a, to a warrior who defends him. It's a change of story. And David's relying on God to hide him, to protect him, to surround him. He's relying on God to do it. And what are those rush of great waters? What are those? Do you remember Noah's flood? Like, man is so violent on the earth that God says, I'm going to wash them off. I'm going to cleanse this earth from their presence. And he sent a great flood and judged them. Now, he promised he'd never judge the earth again by flood. But floodwaters reminded them of the judgment of God, just like a rainbow would remind them of God's covenant faithfulness. So when you see a flood, it's like, oh yeah, judgment. That's what God did. The rush of great waters is a poetic image of God's judgment. So rather than God being his adversary, rather than God judging him, sending the flood of great waters and judgment, God forgave him, God delivered him, God became a shelter for him. Now stop. Hold on. Because it seems great. Oh, it seems so great that God forgave David. Where's the justice? Come on, Americans. Where's the justice? Every time you think there's a miscarriage of justice, what do you think? Like, you just get so angry. Imagine for a second that there's some murderer. Like David, he murdered the husband and married the wife. Imagine you're the family of the guy who got murdered. And how you'd feel when God forgave him. What? What is that? In fact, father-in-law, grandfather-in-law, I forget who it was. In fact, one of David's counselors became David's enemy after that happened because he got off scot-free and he was uh, Bathsheba's grandfather. He couldn't let it go and he tried to destroy David. Imagine this murder standing before God and saying, yes, yes, I acknowledge. I confess my sin to you. I ask you to forgive me. I ask that you protect me. I ask that you deliver me. And the judgment I'm about to receive. And God says, okay. Okay. And you're like, what? 
How dare God? How dare He forgive that man? I want justice. No. For, for a second. David did not get what his sins deserved ultimately. He deserved hell. He deserved God's eternal wrath against him. He did not get that. He got earthly consequences. Oh, did he get earthly consequences. His life went into shambles from that point on. But, ultimately, he was saved. Now, this is the fundamental problem. You want justice, but we want mercy. <laughs> you want justice, but we want mercy. <laughs> like, take them down, forgive me. We need mercy. For apart from the mercy of God, we would all, all, 100% of humanity go to hell. And guess what else? God, too, desires mercy and justice. What is the character of God? What is his character? Here's what he says of his character. He told Moses in Exodus, I am a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. In other words, there's mercy and there's justice. And God is going to do both. This is the fundamental dilemma of the Bible. How can God be both just and the justifier? How can God be both merciful and righteous? How can he both save sinners like you and me and yet be holy and not tolerate even the smallest presence of sin? There's a whole, no, the whole Bible written about it. Romans is written on that very problem. How can God be both just and the justifier? How can he make sinners righteous and be righteous? Which leads to the second point that we need to understand what forgiveness is. Forgiveness. It is another one of those word pictures. It means to pick up, to carry something. Now, what's going on? So, remember, when he said, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, in the court of law, if you are guilty, you bear your iniquity. And to forgive is to pick up the weight of iniquity. It's actually the same word, just used in another way. So, pictorially, if you were a Jew in the Old Testament system, your guilt was taken off of you and was placed onto an animal. A goat, a lamb, a dove. Cute animals. Well, I guess it depends what you call cute. But anyways, cute animals, and you slaughtered it. Your iniquity, your guilt, went onto another object, and it was slaughtered instead of you. Now, we read in Psalm 51, and we read throughout the rest of the Bible, that it's not the slaughtering of those animals that brings your forgiveness. 
It is the slaughtering of Jesus Christ. It was pointing to Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus hung on that cross, here's what the Bible says about Jesus. And listen to the words. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. On him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turns to his own way. Hear this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ took hell on the cross. He took the infinite wrath of God that you deserved in order that you might be righteous in His sight. David, you feel the hand of God pressing you? Move over, man. You feel nothing. The Son of God was crushed for you. And what is the result? What is the result of this? It goes on to say, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Why? By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He will bear their iniquity. It's an exchange. Righteous means you're not guilty. Bearing iniquity means you are guilty. They flipped it. Now, more specifically, when we turn to Jesus in faith, because in a sense that problem still exists, it's like, wait, so it just seems like, okay, how can God be both just and the justifier simultaneously? Because now, not only did I not take my punishment, someone else got it for me. How is that justice? And so this is the miracle of forgiveness. Because forgiveness involves, well, the fact that your sin got sent somewhere else. That's a miracle. But here's the further miracle of forgiveness. The Bible says that we are, by faith, united to Christ. We are united to him. We've been considered one with him. Which means, and this is what you read it, you're like, Man, I don't understand this, but you're telling me this is true, God, so I I'll believe you on this. So that when he died, we died. When he was raised from the dead, we were raised with him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. No, you didn't. Yes, you did. God, by his miracle, crucified you with Christ. So he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 2.4 But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The point is this. You can't save yourself. You can't turn your own life around. You've got two options here. Either you take hell or Jesus does for you. And if you take it, 
you will experience what is called eternal death. And if he takes it, he gives you eternal life. What is more, you have, by your own strength, no power over sin. You hear it all the time. People want to turn their lives around. They're like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to turn this way. And usually what ends up happening is you're just exchanging some sin for other sin. Some iniquity for other iniquity. One transgression for another transgression. You just shuffle things around. The Bible says, apart from God, you have no power over sin, but if God is in your life, he gives you power over sin. It is God's work in you. Sin is not just some, you know, here's what we think. Sin was just, yeah, I did that bummer. Some little isolated, yeah, I usually don't. Yeah, I usually don't, right? So self-deceptive. I'm usually not that way. Yes, you are. You know, I'm usually not angry. Your anger just blew up that time, but usually you're angry to God's side. Right? You're frustrated. Sin is not just some isolated, occasional thing. Sin is the power which was determining our whole existence. So that is why the psalmist doesn't say, I just acknowledge my sin to you, but this. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. You need Christ in your life as victor. So, thirdly, how are we expected to live in light of this? First of all, believers, well, back up. First of all, if you have never, never, Acknowledge to God your sin, your iniquity, your transgression. You need to do so. You need to agree with him, turn to him as the only means of your salvation, the only means of ridding yourself of the guilt of your iniquity, as the only means of power to overcome the sin that's in your life, first of all. Second of all, Christians, you think it's over? You think the battle is done? Pray the prayer off to glory, right? No more sin in my life. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Remember that this psalm was a song of instruction. Here's the big theme of the song. Don't wait to repent. Don't hold off. When you become aware of sin, deal with it. He says in verse 8, I will instruct you, I will teach you, and the way that you should go, I will counsel you with my eye upon you, like a trainer watching you. Like, uh, do this, don't do that. Okay, yeah, good, good. Don't be like a horse. Don't be like a stupid animal that's going to get dragged back. That was me. That was me. No. Let me tell you, verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Uh, Martin Luther, 1500s, somewhere, 1500s, nailed the 95 theses onto the wall, the church in Gutenberg. No, that's the press. The name of the church? Yeah, Reformation, who cares? His first thesis was, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that the entire life of the believer was to be one of repentance. Keep repenting, keep repenting, keep repenting. If you're in Christ, then there is a daily battle. Daily. Jesus says, take up your cross 
daily follow him. Like, you get crucified over and over and over again. <laughs> Keep doing it. Don't stop. We're told that by the power of the Spirit, we're to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Like, well, isn't sin already dead in my life? Mm-hmm. Keep killing it. <laughs> Keep going. You're not done. Uh, Colossians 3.6 says, As you have received Christ, so now walk in him. As you have received him, so now walk in him, established in the faith. How do we receive Christ? With repentance and with faith. So now, keep it up. Keep walking in that way. The power of God comes through reliance on him. The concern would be, so this is like the spiritual distance part, where no one gets off the hook. It's all been good till now. The concern would be if you're not making a habit of repenting. If that's just not a daily activity. It's just self-deceit, really. First John says, if we say we have no sin, none today, God. You deceive yourself. And the truth is not in us. The flip side, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we may not overtly say, I don't think it, well, I'm not sure they did, but we may not, I don't have any sin. You just act like you don't. Because you're not repenting. You're not turning to God. You're not confessing your sin to him and being cleansed from all unrighteousness. Okay, someone's like, what sin do I need to repent? Like, oh, no, forget it. I'm just thinking real quick. Like, nope, this is easy. Really quick. Short list. Think back four hours. Like, that's all I have to do. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Which is also important. Coming to God. Not just for forgiveness, but God is light. God is holy. You come into his presence in his word. He's got a way of showing you just how unholy you are apart from him. Isaiah, I'm sure, was a great Jewish guy. Probably a really nice neighbor. He stands before the holiness of God and he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I'm surrounded by people of unclean lips. I thought they were all cool. We're horrid. Like, if you're comparing yourselves to each other, we're great. If you compare yourself to the holiness of God, God will reveal to us our sin. Now, when I was studying for this, I got some advice from a writer who obviously is more practiced and wiser in this. He is saying, there are root sins and there's branch sins. There's like heart issues and then there's like extensions. Like you snapping at your kid, that's the branch. What was causing that? You know, self-pampering. <laughs> you want to be pampered. You want your kids to be like perfect, obedient, never mess up. My bad, right? This guy was saying, as best you can, just try to, don't say, God, I'm a sinner. Say, name them. Name those sins. What is it that you need to repent of? I I have known many Christians, when all I hear is like, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, they don't seem to really grow. When they say, God, I've been deceitful. 
I did this. God, I was angry in this way. When they just start calling it out as I see it and saying, God, I just don't have self-control. Give me self-control. When they name it, when they're praying for these things, that is usually when he says, I've seen Christians start to grow and flourish. So the first thing we should do in light of this is to repent daily, turn to God daily for the power to overcome our sin. The second thing is repentance should produce joy. Joy. Blessed is the one. Joy. The last couple of verses. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Joy. You should have it. So it may very well be that the coolness and hardness of your own heart in your Christian walk, the, the humdrum boringness of your own walk, may be due to the fact that you have just lost sight of the cross, that you are not repenting, that you're not being daily refreshed by the good news of the gospel. As Psalm 51 said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit with me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And the last thing it should do is produce zeal. Daily repentance should produce joy, joy and should produce zeal. How do I get that? This song was written. David wrote a song about how joyful it is to not be condemned by God. And, hey, you should do that with me. And, and he's, just, he's just laying out his cards saying, yeah, you know what, was, what happened in my life. Here it is. Let me tell you the lessons I've learned. David is like a shepherd pleading to people, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be a fool. Come now quickly and know the joy that I have found. Uh, there is a uh, a lady, she was an English teacher, um, lived in a same-sex relationship named Rosaria Butterfield. And she became friends with a pastor. And so, as she, as she says, like, liberal, English teacher, butch haircut, in a same-sex relationship, becoming friends with a pastor. Kind of an interesting combo right there. She said some things that really struck her about meeting this pastor. First of all, in their first meeting, he didn't try to share the gospel with her. She was ready for that. You're not going to preach to me, pastor man, right? Just wasn't going to do it. The other thing is that when he prayed over the meal, like, this guy was like confessing his sin. Like, it, was like, it wasn't like, God forgive us for our sin. It was like he was just honest about his own sin. And that was an attraction to her that like these high and mighty, pious and righteous Christians are really not high and mighty and pious. They're broken sinners coming to a faithful God. So let's come to his table. Let us rejoice in the salvation that we have. Let us be renewed yet again as a family. So if the ushers would come forward and the worship team.